0: Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. Please note, this podcast is a little racy in spots. If you have a delicate constitution and choose to continue listening, good for you. I'm Armistead Maupin, and I'm going to read to you today from... My latest novel, Michael Tolliver Lives, Uh, this passage is uh, largely the first chapter, so I hope it'll be self-explanatory. Not long ago, down on Castro Street, a stranger in a giant's parka gave me a loaded glance as we passed each other in front of Cliff's hardware. He was close to my age, I guess, not that far past fifty, and not bad-looking either in a beat-up Bruce Willisy sort of way so I waited a moment before turning to see if he would go for a second look. He knew this old do do as well as I did and hit his mark perfectly. Hey, he called. You're supposed to be dead. I gave him an off-kilter smile. Guess I didn't get the memo. His face grew redder as he approached. Sorry, I just meant it's been a really long time and sometimes you just assume, you know. I did know. Here in our beloved Gayberry, you can barely turn around without gazing into the strangely familiar features of someone long believed dead. Having lost track of him in darker days, you had all but composed his obituary and scattered his ashes at sea when he shows up in the housewares aisle at Cala Foods to tell you he's been growing roses in Petaluma for the past decade. This happens to me a lot, these odd little supermarket resurrections, so I figured it could just as easily happen to someone else. But who the hell was he? "'You're looking good,' he said pleasantly. "'Thanks. You too.' His face had trenches like mine, the usual wasting from the meds. A fellow cigar store Indian. "'You are Mike Tolliver, right?' "'Michael, yeah, but I can't quite—' "'Oh, sorry,' he thrust out his hand. "'Ed Lyons. We met at Joe Dimitri's after the second gay games.' That was no help at all, and it must have shown." You know, the guy offered gamely, the big house up on Collingwood? Still nothing. The circle jerk? Ah. We went back to my place afterward, on Potrero Hill. You remember. What I remembered, all I remembered after nineteen years, was his dick. I remembered how its less than average length was made irrelevant by its girth. It was one of the thickest I'd ever seen, with a head that flared like a caveman's club. Remembering him was a good deal harder. Nineteen years is too long a time to remember a face. We had fun, I said, hoping that a friendly leer would make up for my fallocentric memory. You had something to do with plants, didn't you? Still do. I showed him my dirty cuticles. I had a nursery back then, but now I garden full-time. "'That seemed to excite him because he tugged on the strap of my overalls "'and uttered a guttural woof. "'If he was angling for a nooner, I wasn't up for it. "'The green-collar job that had stoked his furnace "'had left me with some nasty twinges in my rotator cuffs, "'and I still had podocarps to prune in Glen Park. "'All I really wanted was an easy evening with Ben and the hot tub "'and a rare bacon cheeseburger from Burgermeister. "'Somehow he seemed to pick up on that. "'You married these days?' Yeah, pretty much. Married, married, or just regular? You mean, did we go down to City Hall? Yeah. I told him we did. Must have been amazing, he said. Well, it was a mob scene, but, you know, pretty cool. I wasn't especially forthcoming, but I had told the story once too often, and it usually failed to convey the oddball magic of that day all those separate dreams coming true in a gilded, high-domed palace straight out of Beauty and the Beast. You had to have witnessed that long line of middle-aged people standing in the rain, some of them with kids in tow, waiting to affirm what they'd already known for years, and the mayor himself so young and handsome and neat that he actually looked like the man on top of a wedding cake. "'Well,' said Ed Lyons, stranger no more now that I'd put a name to the penis— "'I'm heading down to the bagel shop. How about you?' "'I told him I was headed for my truck. "'Woof!' he exclaimed, aroused by the mere mention of my vehicle. "'I must have rolled my eyes just a little. "'What?' he asked. "'It's not that butcher truck,' I told him. "'He laughed and charged off. "'As I watched his broad shoulders navigate the stream of pedestrians, "'I wondered if I would find Ed's job, whatever it might be, "'as sexy as he found mine.' Oh, yeah, buddy, that's right. Make me want it. Make me buy that two-bedroom condo. That Century 21 blazer is so fucking hot. I headed for my truck, a light blue Tacoma, if you must know, buzzing on a sort of homegrown euphoria that sweeps over me from time to time. After thirty years in the city, it's nice to be reminded that I'm still glad to be here, still glad to belong to this sweet confederacy of survivors, where men meet in front of the hardware store and talk of love and death and circle jerks as if they're discussing the weather. I met Ben on the Internet. Well, not exactly. I saw him on the Internet and met him on the street in North Beach, but I would never have known who he was or rather what he was looking for had my friend Barney not modeled for a website catering to older gay men. Barney is 48, a successful mortgage broker, and something of a muscle daddy. He's a wee bit vain, too. He could barely contain himself when he stopped me on Market Street one day to tell me that his big white marble ass was now available to worldwide wankers for only twenty-one ninety-five a month, credit card or online check. Once upon a time, this would have struck me as sleazy, but the Internet has somehow persuaded half the world to get naked for the enjoyment of the other half. Barney is a fairly sexy guy, but I squirmed a little when I checked out his photos on the site. Maybe I've just known him too long, but there was something incestuous and unsettling about it, like watching your Aunt Gladys flashing titty for the troops. At any rate, there was a personal section on the website, so once I'd fled the site of Barney's winking sphincter, I checked out the guys who were looking for sex, friendship, or long-term relationships. There were lots of geezers there, by which I mean anyone my age or older, regular Joes from Lodi or Tulsa, smiling bravely by their vintage vehicles or dressed for some formal event. Most of them offered separate close-ups of their erections, artfully shot from below, so that doubtful browsers could find their way past the snow on the roof to the still-raging fire in the furnace. What surprised me, though, was the number of young guys on the site, guys in their 20s or 30s specifically looking for partners over 45. The one who caught my attention and held it, clean-cut lad for you, was a sandy blonde with a brush cut and shining brown eyes. His actual name was not provided, but his profile identified him as 33 and versatile, a resident of the Bay Area. He was lying against a headboard, smiling sleepily, a white sheet pulled down to the first suggestion of pubic hair. For reasons I still can't name, he came across like someone from another century, a stalwart captured on daguerreotype, casually masculine and tender of heart. So how did this work? Did I have to submit a profile, or could I just email him directly? He'd want to see a photo, wouldn't he? Would I have to get naked? The young can keep a little mystery, it seems to me, but the old have to show you their stuff, which, of course, is easier said than done. Sure, the right dick can distract from a falling ass, and some people actually get off on a nice round stomach, but who has any use for that no-man's land between them, that troublesome lower stomach of sloppy skin? Maybe I could pose in my dirty work clothes with just my dick hanging out. I could call myself nice and dirty for you. But who would take the picture? Barney was the logical choice, but I had a sudden gruesome flash of him directing my debut and thought better of it. Who was I kidding, anyway? Clean-cut lad probably got hundreds of offers a week. It was wiser to stick to my monthly night at the Steamworks, where the goods were always on the table, and rejection, when it came, was instant and clean. And that's the way I left it, aside from printing out the guy's web page and posting it above my potting shed. It stayed there for ages, curling at the edges, a pin-up boy for a war that would never be waged, I might not have met him at all if my friend Anna Madrigal hadn't called to invite me for dinner at the Cafe Sport. The Cafe Sport is on Green Street, way across town in North Beach, a gaudy Sicilian cavern that dishes up huge creamy mounds of seafood and pasta. Anna had been going there for over thirty years and often used its peasanty charms as a way of luring me out of my complacent nest in the Castro. At eighty-five, she was convinced I was growing too set in my ways. I needed some excitement, she said, and she was the gal to provide it. So there we sat, awash in colors and aromas, when the impossible happened. Anna was adjusting her turban at the time, consulting the mirror behind my back as she fussed with whiffs of snowy hair. Yet somehow she still caught the look on my face. "'What is it, dear?' "'I'm not sure,' I said." Well, you must have an idea. A cluster of departing diners had moved toward the door, obscuring my view. I think I saw someone. Someone you know? No, not exactly. Hmm, someone you want to know. She shooed me with a large gloved hand. Go on then, catch up with him. I don't know. Yes, you do. Get the hell out of here. I'll be here with my wine. So I sprang to my feet and shimmied through the tightly packed crowd. By the time I reached the door, he was nowhere in sight. I looked to the right toward the fog-cushioned neon of Columbus, then left toward Grand Avenue. He was almost at the end of the block and picking up speed. I had no choice but to make myself ridiculous. "'Excuse me,' I yelled, hurrying after him. No response at all. He didn't even stop walking. "'Excuse me, in the blue jacket?' He stopped, then turned. "'Yeah?' "'Sorry, but I was in the restaurant and—' "'Oh, shit!' he reached reflexively for his back pocket. "'Did I leave my wallet?' "'No,' I replied. "'Just me.' "'I had hoped that this would prove to be an icebreaker, "'but it landed with a dull thud, missing the ice completely. "'The guy just blinked at me in confusion. "'I think I saw you on a website,' I explained. "'Another blink. "'Clean-cut lad for you?' "'Finally,' he smiled. There was a fetching gap between his two front teeth, which only enhanced the fuckable Norman Rockwell image. I could have sent you my profile, I told him, but I figured it was easier just to chase you down the street. He laughed and stuck out his hand. I'm Ben McKenna. Michael Tolliver. I saw you inside with that lady. He had held my hand a little longer than actually required. Was that your mother? I chuckled. Anna would love to hear that. ''Not exactly,'' I said. ''She looks interesting.'' ''She is, believe me.'' We were rapidly veering off the subject, so I decided to take the bullock by the horns. ''I have to get her home, as a matter of fact. Would you mind giving me your phone number, or I could give you mine?'' He looked almost surprised. ''Either way,'' he said with a shrug. We went back into the restaurant for pencil and paper. As Ben scribbled away by the cash register, I looked across the room and saw that Anna was watching this transaction with a look of smug accomplishment on her face. And I knew this would not be the end of it. Something this juicy could amuse her for weeks. "'My, my,' she said as soon as I returned. "'I hope you carded him. He's thirty-three. Cut me some slack. You asked him his age? I read it online.' "'Oh, brave new world,' she intoned melodramatically. "'Shall we head down to the park, dear, before we call it a night?' "'Thought you'd never ask,' I said. So I walked her down to Washington Square, where we sat in the cool, foggy dark, and shared a quick doobie before bedtime. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit www.kqed.org slash writer's block. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED. I'm Armstead Maupin, and I first appeared at Litquake in 2005 as part of the uh, 50th anniversary of the reading of Allen Ginsberg's Howl. Uh, now it's two years later, and I'm back on board for a show called Tales, An Evening with Armistead and Friends. Uh, Needless to say, I'm uh, deeply honored that the people of Litquake have chosen me and my work as the subject of this event. Uh, And I myself am blissfully unaware of what's actually happening, so I can't fill you in on that. But um, I do know that a lot of my friends are going to be there, people like Laura Linney, who played Marianne in the original Tales production. Uh, the writer Amy Tan, the writer Andrew Sean Greer, Father Guido Sarducci, uh, Pam Ling and Jud Winnick from The Real World. It's going to be a real San Francisco evening. Uh, and if you'd like uh, more information about this, you can check it out on www.litquake.org.